how do I evaluate job offers? How do I talk to these recruiters? Okay, what's the percentage of people that are hitting their commission cap every year? You know, what's their commission based off of? What's the turnover rate in this sales team? What's the promotion path from this role? I didn't know and I didn't ask a lot of those questions early on. Hello, everyone. I am here today with Connor, who works in AWS software sales. I'm excited to talk with him today because I think a lot of people are starting to hear about tech sales or cloud computing. And I think it's just going to be a really good interview, insightful and grounding to hear from someone who actually lives it. So Connor, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Happy to be here, Jameson. Thanks for the invite. I'm excited to talk about my little corner of the world. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've, I already did interview one other person in uh, software sales, but as you mentioned uh, off mic a little bit ago, there's a lot of nuance to this. It's, it's not just one size fits all. So first off, why don't you just give us your job title and then unpack what that means for us in a nutshell? Yeah, sure thing. I'm a bit of a specialist seller. I work with general field sales teams. My focus is to help simplify the process for large businesses who are still on-prem, who are still in the data center to move to move their workloads to the cloud, to break away from these data centers. They've been running their own servers. They've been paying for a lot of Microsoft licensing, or they have everything built up in this complex infrastructure. Moving to data centers is a really complicated process. So I started out as like a general inside sales rep, and now I'm in this specialized role where I'm getting pulled into these complex conversations of, hey, how do we how do we eat this elephant, you know, one bite at a time? I'm here to help you guys through that process. Gotcha. So you're working with like big companies moving over all of their data sets and whatever fashion that they're currently in into the AWS different packages that you guys have. So whether that's cloud yeah. computing or something else, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, that's the gist of it. Sometimes we have some customers, they've, they've dipped their pinky toe in. They're like, okay, yeah, we're running this side website on AWS, or we're storing some data here, or we you know, have our backups in AWS. We want to we wanna go full bore. We want to go full, full send with AWS. And some just come and they say, hey, the CEO made this cloud strategy. We want to work with AWS. Like, what do we do with our Microsoft licensing? How do we move this? How do we make a transition? How do we become cost efficient? Where do we see, we always hear about this value of the cloud. How do we realize that? And it's my job to walk them through that and then pull in the real techie guys. Because I think one thing everyone in tech sales will tell you is frequently you're the dumbest guy in the room. <laughs> um, so a lot of your job is to bring in the really competent, really qualified individuals to, to break that information down for them. Yeah. Well, actually, that leads into one question that I was going to ask a little bit later, but I feel like I should ask it now. How technical do you have to be to be like just base level to be in sales? It is, I think the term a lot of a lot of tech sales people will use, it's one of these phrases I've heard like too much is I'm, I'm, I know enough to be dangerous. I think that benchmark really varies based on what your role is, what you're selling and how complicated the product is. I think for the role, whatever your role is, you need to understand the product enough to understand when, when you're talking to a customer, what are the key, hearing keywords and understanding what they mean and having enough technical understanding to understand what's important, what's not important and what is the business impact to these customers? Because as pretty much any in any sales role, 
they'll say like if you just spout off speeds and feeds oh our our new manufacturing machine that you can buy goes you know this many rpms our new engine can do this if you just talk tech numbers that's not a really compelling story if you can talk about the business impact hey we can run this many more units through your line uh hey we can compute this much more in the cloud with this lower cost if you can understand the business impact for the customer that's where you can really articulate the value so depending on what you're selling and what your special specialty is I think that really determines how technical you need to get. For AWS, they they really want everyone to have all the sellers, even uh, the base level salespeople, to have two AWS cloud certifications. So most people get the cloud practitioner, and then I have the associate solution architect cert. I think there's there's like seven or eight certs. One guy I work with, I think there's actually eleven. He's got all 11. And so on his on his email signature, it's like all these badges, like he's collected all the Pokemon badges for all the different gems. So I'm working on two more right now, but it really varies based on what you do and who you talk to. Yeah, that makes sense. How long did it take you to get those certifications? You said you had two of them already and you're working on two more? Yeah. Yeah. So it took me, the first one, it took me like two weeks. Okay. Now that was, I'm a new hire. You, Connor, this is part of your on-ramp process your job is to understand our product. So that one took me two weeks. I took the test. I passed. Um, the other one was much more big grind. That was like a month and a half of like nose to the grindstone, eight, nine hours a day studying. I think I remember coming back from work one day, just started my job. And my wife, Erin, had uh, asked like, hey, you seem kind of bummed. And I was like, well, I studied this material at 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., laser focused. And in my course material, you know, I was using a third party study, study platform. There's several out there. It was like, Hey, you went from 41% completion to 43% completion. So my eight hours of work was like 2% (laughs) 2%. progress. That's a much more encompassing cert, more technical. Some vary. Some are one of the ones I'm working on is a little more niche. It's around machine learning. And so that, that one, I'm kind of like working in my off hours and when I have free time. So that's been taking me a couple months, but I'm not. To answer your original question, that second cert took me like a month and a half of just reading. Now, if I was in the IT industry, if I was an IT professional and I've been working in the cloud with, with the cloud for like a year, be a much easier, less painful process than what I had to go through. Yeah, that makes sense. So how long have you been in your current position? And then how long have you been in the field? And then did you walk into the field with any level of technical expertise already? Yeah, good question. Um, I'll work backwards. I'll go yeah. chronological on this. Yeah, that works. So I, I, I moved into the tech sales fields right out of college. I graduated at 20, 20, uh, the year 2016 okay. uh, from an industrial distribution, industrial engineering degree at Texas A&M. My original goal was to go in the oil and gas industry. And if anyone who follows the oil and gas industry, 2016, 2015, (laughs) uh, Saudi Arabia kind of did what it did in 2020. They were getting really frustrated with the loss of market share due to US and international fracking. And they said, hey, we're going to flood the market with cheap oil and starve out competition. So I ended up having like one tech sales job offer and three oil and gas offers. And then that event happened. And when I graduated, I had one one job offer selling plumbing and one job offer in tech sales. So uh, for about three years, I worked in a, I worked in a firm 
as an account executive that was selling, that was an IT reseller. So we were selling software, we were selling hardware. So that's networking gear, servers, laptops. Uh, we were selling cloud, we were selling professional services. And then after a particularly interesting project with, uh, with a client who was actually moving to AWS, some of the AWS team there said, hey, we, you seem to get it, man. Like, can we, can we wreck you? Are you interested in working, working for us? And so interviewed, got a job offer with AWS, was working as an inside sales rep covering enterprise accounts in the Southeast for about a year and a half, really focused on manufacturing manufacturing companies, which in the cloud space is a really, really interesting demographic. There's a lot of analytics and IoT and AIML and other fun buzzwords you see people like to put on LinkedIn. Just this August, September, I've transitioned into this migration role, which has been really fun. You you get yeah. to you get to get in the weeds with customers who are like, hey, gung ho, let's let's make this happen. What's it gonna look like? How are we gonna get this? How are we gonna tune this to be super efficient? Yeah. When you were in the inside sales role, were you pretty much taking phone calls eight hours a day? Was that the the scope of the job or were you was there more to it? There, there was more to it. You had, you were paired with a field rep. I was in the Greenfield team. Uh, so we're going after big enterprise accounts that were not current big customers of ours. So you were, you were a two or sometimes three man show covering a territory of about 200 accounts. Some of them were low billers that you were trying to bump up to our like engaged account team. And if you did really well, migrate with them as many sales orgs will do. But you were also doing a lot of prospecting, a lot of cold calling, trying to break into some of these new customers. So there was a lot of meetings with my account managers brainstorming, oh, hey, they released this article. Hey, how, like, how do we position this to these customers? So it was a good mix of phone calls, LinkedIn outreach, email outreach, as well as internal strategy calls, trying to progress current opportunities with current spenders and zero billers that were interested in, in launching cloud projects. And so we, we had, I had ownership of, you know, had an attachment to these opportunities, full process from discovery to launch, but a good chunk of my job was still prospecting, which I mean, you, you love it or you hate it. Most people hate it, but it, it is nice to have ownership of like, Hey, Joe's crab shack. That's my boy. Like I got them in the cloud or <laughs> not that that's actually one of my customers, but right. uh, you, you, you could really plant your flag and like, Hey, I got them on board. I won that logo essentially. Yeah. Kind of a separate question from what we've been talking about so far. Do you guys ever work remote or do you go into the office now all the time? Yeah, it's been kind of a fun joke for me. Uh, my job in Atlanta, I had about a 30 minute commute. Not the worst by, by any means. I've heard some horror stories, but definitely not the best. And so when we moved to the DC area and we were looking at apartments, we, I got really excited because the apartment we settled on, and I'm talking to you from now, seven minutes away from my work, had a shuttle that went to the metro station that my building was on top of. So it was like, walk out my front door, get on a shuttle bus, drives me to my building. And I walk and it was like the shortest commute ever I'd ever heard of. And I was super excited. <laughs> and then two, two and a half months in, yep. the first COVID case in the DMV, which is you know, District, Maryland, Virginia, yep. uh, not Department of Motor Vehicles. <laughs> um, I, I have to remember that now. Yeah. DMV stands for multiple things here. It does. It does. But the first COVID case got announced up in Maryland in some retirement home. And then that afternoon they said, grab your laptops, grab your monitors, grab everything. 
we're going remote. And I've been remote for closing in on two years now. Gotcha. The office is open. They, you know, the coffee bar is free. So sometimes I, I will, I yearn for personal contact and more I'm doing something team related. So I'll go in the office, hang out with them. There's plans to go back to the office soon, but for the most part, I've been remote, which is has its pros and cons. I miss being face-to-face with customers. Like we were talking before the recording started, just being able to have that face-to-face contact, even just subconscious cues of like reading body language and, you know, establishing a rapport makes it so much easier than a phone call or an email message or something like that. Yeah, definitely. I've had phone related jobs. Actually, mine was, uh, I was in a mostly phone role when COVID hit the first time. And, uh, yeah, that, that was a difficult jump for me to move because I, I feel like I'm a pretty decent communicator, but when it's everything's stripped away and it's just the phone, you don't have any, any visual on the person, it's a different skill set, And it's one that I've had to hone over the years and I still could use a lot more, but uh, anyway, just a little side sidebar there, but I agree hundred percent. So Connor, so you don't go into the office every day, but let's say you wake up every day and what's, what's the first thing you do? Let's kind of walk me through like the schedule of a typical day so that everybody kind of gets a feel for like, okay, this is what it would be like to be in this role. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, I wake up probably not the healthiest work-life balance, but I'm just one of these people that turn on at like 6am. Um, so I check Slack, I check my inbox in bed, make sure there's no like, oh my gosh, alerts. But then eight o'clock, um, plugged into my desk. One thing I really enjoy is I have a virtual PC that that runs in the cloud that I launch off my desktop. So bit of a gamer. I've got, you know, the whole three monitor setup, the setup, um, the mechanical keyboard, all the peripherals I like. And so I can just boot that up. And I have I have my whole workstation ready yep. to go. It starts typically with responding to stuff that's come in in the evening, writing some emails for the first hour, not every day, but typically every day. Um, There's some form of team meeting, whether it's my organization team or a sales team, like I'm consulting with a field rep or we're prepping for a customer call or we're briefing as like a specialist on, you know, how we want to approach something. So typically I like to schedule those in the morning, late morning and early afternoon. I try to schedule my meetings. Sometimes I do prospecting. Statistically, prospecting is the worst at those times. So I do try to get busy work in there and call if I if I have free time if I don't have morning meetings I'll be doing prospecting some outreach or some follow-ups like 8 30 to 9 30 kind of when people are getting their coffee and they're not heads down into a project so typically in those dead periods I like to do research I like to uh, look up companies there's a lot of cat wrangling with some of these complicated projects like hey you talk to so-and-so about funding and, hey, they have this really niche question. Can this technology talk to this technology? Hey, they can't make this meeting, so let's pivot this. So do a lot of that in the middle of the day. Um, and then at the end of the day, I'm doing some more outreach, prospecting, follow-up messaging. And I, I typically spend the last 30 minutes of my day updating Salesforce, making yeah. sure, you know, everything all, you know, opportunities, projects, activities are uh, kosher. There's, if there's one thing that annoys a, a sales team manager, it's when Salesforce is not up to date. Yep. Um, so I, I try to keep on top of that. My first role, that was a learning curve for me being on top of my opportunity management and my Salesforce. Yeah. So you mentioned prospecting a few times in there. What does that actually look like in your current role? Are you literally 
like calling a list of phone numbers? Are you emailing people that have said that are like warm leads? Like kind of unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah, it's a mix there based on analytics. You know, we've done the research and we've, I, I do do some cold outreach, you know, working with a field team of like, hey, analytics say this customer should be a slam dunk for a migration or, hey, we really think this VMware cloud solution is going to be a perfect fit for your customer. Can I go reach out and talk to some of them? We've got, I'm following up from customers that have attended webinars about, hey, how do I modernize my Windows workloads? How do I plan and scope a migration? I'm following up on those messages like, hey, I'm your team's migration specialist. Like, let's talk shop. What are you interested in? How can we help? Like, what's your timeline? What are you establishing some of those bands? What's your timeline? What's your budget? What are you interested in? What, what are what are the speed bumps? What are the roadblocks that are keeping you up at night? And then I'm getting account managers bringing me into opportunities like, hey, they said they want to learn more. They want to migrate their Windows workloads. I don't know squat diddly about Microsoft licensing and what they can bring to the cloud, what they can bring to AWS, what they can't help me understand this very complex set of rules or talk to my customer about the value of this program. So that's typically where my prospecting lies. Thankfully, it's not, you know, SDR, like, hey, would you like to buy this? Would you like to buy this? Where a lot of sales folks start in the the tech industry. Gotcha. What skills do you think are most important to hone to be successful in a role like this? Hmm. That's a good one. I think, I think just perseverance. I think listening is probably the biggest one. If I had to, if I had to pick a number one, it's listening. I think that's one of the hardest things for salespeople to learn. They're so excited to talk about the product and, you know, we can, let me tell you all about the speeds and feeds and how good it'll make your life. Um, and just, but just listening to the customer, especially when my job is to help them solve a problem, I need to understand the problem. And especially when you've been fed all the information and you know, all the good things you can do, you're, you're so excited to tell them what problems you can fix. <laughs> yep. You really need to understand the problem. And then Amazon is very big about working backwards, understand their business goals, their, their problem, and then work backwards from that point. Yeah. So I think listing is probably the biggest one, but being able to think on your feet, being able to pivot is important. Having that general sales perseverance and flexibility and tough skin is important. But yeah, number one is still just listen to your customer. Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing that more and more from the salespeople that I'm talking to. And so listen up anybody who's going into any type of sales. I think listening skills are number one, that and perseverance are, are the other two that I'm hearing. So Connor is just a further confirming that in my mind. So oh, it's, yeah. good, it's good to know. How much preparation do you put into each sale, Connor? Is Are they... I know every company has like kind of a different sales cycle. Is it, you know, a lot of prep where you're researching an account or a company and then, you know, you've got all these analytics to throw at them when you finally get in front of them or um, kind of just walk us through that process. It really depends and really depends on what the customer wants to do Okay. and the, and the route of direction. You know, some, some stuff is really complicated and really, really hands-on. Um, and there are some customers that are, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze metaphorically. You know, you'll, I'll have some field reps that say like, hey, this customer 
this conversation is worth thousands and thousands of server migrations. It's really, really important to, to that rep's bottom line. Getting that brand logo is important. So sometimes we do go above and beyond. A lot of times, sometimes it's just a small project or sometimes it's just a customer coming to us and say, hey, we want a budget for 2022 to move to the cloud. We don't know what that timeline what that cost is going to be, what's the, what's the cost to transition over, what kind of training and knowledge base we need to build up. And I'll, I'll do some prep for that, but that's more of an education process. And sometimes it's just the customer saying, yeah, I'd love to hear more about this. Let's talk Tuesday at two. And then I always try to be like, okay, is there something specific you're interested in? What's relevant to you? How can I make this time most efficient for you? Try to really come from a position of like, I'm putting your interests, I'm thinking of your interests here, not like, bye, 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 sign the contract. Exactly. And sometimes, you know, they, they say the very unhelpful response of, well, tell me about everything. Uh, okay. Or I, I don't really know where I want to start from. And you have to do, you have, sometimes you just have to go into those meetings blind, or you have to start doing the qualifying in the meeting. We're like, yeah. hey, listen, we've got over 200 services. Some of them are for very niche use cases. Some of them, there's multiple ways to solve a specific problem. So let's work down. Let's tell me what you have. Tell me what you're trying to do. And we can, we can build a game plan from there. Let's work backwards, essentially. How much time do you spend talking with clients, let's say in a, in a typical week, how much time are you spending actually either not face-to-face, but either Zoom call or on the right. phone with a client versus all the other things that you do? It, it varies. I would probably say low is four hours a week and high mm-hmm. is probably 12, 16. Okay. You know, I would, I would love to be that rep that's just in back-to-back customer meetings or, you know, is cycling between customer meetings and prep meetings. But there's, there's a lot of background work. There's a lot of prep. There's a lot of coordination uh, in my job. So yeah, typically there's, yeah, there's like four or five meetings a day. Sometimes if it's a busy week, there's eight. And then there's follow-up conversations and one-off questions from customers as well. That's good. Yeah. It's, it's nice to know that just kind of for a framework, because I think obviously when people think of sales, they think of the actual act of being in front of a customer actively selling, but you know, you, you said on the high side, maybe 16 hours, you know, in, in a week, would I actually be doing that? You know, obviously it can be more, but that means the majority of your time, you're not actively selling, you're doing the prep work or the administrative or the internal communication or whatever else is involved in your job. So yeah, that's really important to know. I think especially with some of these bigger companies, when you are getting C-levels on a conversation, when you have the CIO and the CISO and the these SVPs of titles, like they're, you have to understand their schedules, they're human. One, one thing that I started out in sales was I uh, was like a 22-year-old helping businesses build their IT security strategy. And I almost didn't want to get face-to-face with them because I didn't want them to know some punk kid out of college uh, (laughs) was building their IT strategy for them. Um, And I was intimidated by their title. So one, don't be afraid of them. They are human, but also they're very busy individuals, especially at these large companies. The difficulty of getting them all in a room to talk to you about your pitch for one hour, for an hour and a half, is difficult. It and is. so any prep work you can do, anything you can qualify, anything you can do to simplify that process and make that time more valuable uh, is key, especially when you get to like enterprise sales type conversations. Yeah. 
Connor, in what ways do you think your job is similar to other SaaS sales jobs or other software sales? And how do you feel like what you currently do is like most different from the average or the typical job in your field? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I would say there's an immediate degree of difference between me and a lot of SaaS roles. A lot of SaaS roles are in, you know, lo- still large, uh, larger mid-sized SaaS companies that are, you know, respectable in their own right. But I am working for one of these industry giants that does some sometimes good, sometimes bad, comes with reputation. You know, if I say, mm-hmm. hey, I'm Connor from AWS, most people in the IT industry know who I am, know, know who I'm coming from. Yeah, there's a brand associated with it. Yeah, they there's a brand know. associated. A lot and I'm really thankful a lot of people have a very positive response to that. But in my old role and what I've seen in a lot of smaller niche SaaS roles, when someone's like, hey, I'm Bill from Treviolo IO, you have to earn that trust. You have to justify here's who I am, here's what we do, here's why you want to talk to me. I still have to overcome that somewhat. I have to say like why you want to talk to me. And there's some misconceptions that I have to overcome of, oh, well, we can't do AWS because of X. And a big part of my life is, well, no, there's actually a really good way to do that. I'm not like, let's talk about that. I think my job, I'm metriced on a lot of KPIs. Mm-hmm. of you know how many opportunities we're building how much the size of these opportunities how how I'm able to accelerate them who's bringing me on calls but a lot of saas sales and a lot of sales in general you have your number you have your sales target you have your quarterly numbers you have your annual numbers and that is tying you to your compensation and that is that is the number that keeps you up at night and stresses yes. you out and that's the number that you you know, stand on your desk and dance on when you absolutely crush in Q3. Yep. And so I do enjoy this slightly less pressure, slightly lower amount of pressure than a typical SaaS sales rep would have where they like, you got to hit your annual number. Like you got to hit quota. Um, trying to think of anything else. Um, I'm also a specialist. Yeah. You know, I get brought in for specific conversations and I can go into depth with customers to talk about them. So I'm not doing a lot of that relationship managing that some people, especially they're doing engaged sales or they're the term in sales. You have hunters who are going to find new business and you have farmers who are maintaining a business relationship and are growing that business and trying to add different lines of business to that product. A lot of those farmers build a relationship with their customer, have frequent conversations. There's a dialogue. There's there's a relationship. Me, not so much. I'm getting brought in for a use case and then on to the next guy. No, I really like a lot of what you had to say there. Going back a little bit to, uh, you mentioned KPIs, key performance indicators for people that aren't in the corporate world. I like that your company chooses to focus a little bit more on process as opposed to results in that way. Just, it was something I was literally actually thinking about today at lunch, just randomly in life. Like, I do think that, you know, we, we oftentimes we set goals and they're very outcome oriented, you know, like, oh, I want to make this amount of money or I want to bring in this amount of revenue or whatever the thing is when ultimately we don't have 100% control over the outcomes. We do have control over the process and what we put into it. And so I think it's important just for anybody just in life in general and success, like if you can figure out what in the process do I do that leads to the results that I want 
and then control those processes. You know, like if I'm hitting, if I'm hitting these goals, if I'm spending this amount of time on these, on the things that I know provide the most value or whatever it is, focusing on that process over the outcomes actually leads to better outcomes more often than not. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that rings true pretty clearly in sales. Uh, I think the biggest, the biggest point there is trying to find those key inputs. I think, I think it's something we'll probably touch on later in the conversation. One of the frustrators of sales, and I think it goes across the sales industry is there's no silver bullet. There's no formula. Um, Something can be a slam dunk for this one customer and can be like the biggest, you know, wah, wah. Uh, with the next customer, and you can feel like you were doing all the right inputs. You were you were doing everything you are supposed to be doing. And there's there's a degree of randomness at right time, right place, and luck with sales. And so at times, you could feel like you're doing all the right inputs, and you're not seeing the outputs you want. And you need to you know have that flexibility to pivot sometimes, but also have that mental fortitude to when that does happen you don't become self-defeating, you don't get frustrated, you self-evaluate and improve, or if those are the right inputs and you're just not hitting where you should be hitting, you uh, stay the course, you keep chugging until it, until it works out. Yeah, definitely. So kind of staying on developing the right skills for this role and like, what, what are the right inputs? Did you ever do any outside sales training programs, boot camps, sales seminars, or was all of your sales training from your company itself? I would say I, I haven't done any seminars. You okay. know, all, all the companies I've worked for, they've all had annual sales conference with keynote speakers and breakout sessions. Um, and I was really blessed in my first job to have a really good manager who was really analytical about the sales process and the language you use and the expectations you set. I think one of my favorite things from this guy that I use in my sales in my sales role as well as in life is setting good expectations. You know, be clear with what you're trying to accomplish, be clear with the outcomes that you're looking to drive. And it can be as some one of his best examples, but I think I had a I had a cold call and I was like, hey, this is Connor from this IT reseller. Um, how are you doing today? And, oh, hey, do you have a minute? Tell me about, tell me, like, are you running hypervisors on your, you know, something? And his example is like, you're the guy, he's like, you're the guy in the bus trench kind of staring someone down. They're like waiting for the <laughs> other shoe to hit. What does this guy want? What is he, what is he trying to get out of me? When you just want to ask him the time, just, just walk up to him like, Hey, I was wondering if you knew the time. Hey, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm like, do you know what time it is going in? And so he's like, Hey, look at it differently. Go into meetings with, Hey, so excited. We have this time. I want to talk to you about this. We're going to discuss this, this, and this. And, you know, if this makes sense, if this is valuable to your company, and at the end of this meeting, we're going to decide, do we want to meet again and talk about this? Or, you know, for, for some first calls, I try to get humorous and be like, and sometimes if it's not working out, we can both agree to turn 180 and run, run away from each other and they'll get a laugh and it's <laughs> yeah. kind of disarming. But I always try to set good expectations, not just in business, but in life, like, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. Here's when I'll do this and meeting those expectations. That's, I've seen surprising amount of salespeople who will say like, oh yeah, I'll send you that documentation and they won't follow up or 
customers will say like, yeah, follow up with me in November. And, you know, it's January and they're, and you're like, Hey, did you ever talk to them? Oh no, I forgot. But if you can be, if you can be consistent, set good expectations and meet them, you create a really good customer experience. I was actually, I was talking with Aaron this evening when I was running a little bit late getting our COVID boosters and Aaron was like, you're just going to be a couple minutes. And I'm like, but I set an expectation with Jameson and I'm not <laughs> yeah. meeting it and it's stressing me out. And she's like, all right, cool. Your jets chief. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. It ended up working out better for both of us. We, we moved our interview time back a, a few minutes. It actually ended up working out better for us. So yeah, but I, I do think that that's a good uh, takeaway that you set proper expectations. I know I've worked in a couple of companies where that was really uh, rightfully instilled in their employees where when you communicate clearly and you, you walk people through, Hey, here's the process. Like you are, you're letting them in on what the journey is going to be like so that they don't feel like what you said, they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. There's these walls that we can accidentally create. We can create our own sales resistance. If we say something and person on the other end is feeling like, where are they leading me? Where's this going? You know, like we right. want to know where the end destination of this is going. So if you, yeah, set that proper expectation, like, Hey, I want to talk to you about X, Y, Z and uh, we're going to do this, this, and this. And then that mm -hmm. way they have an idea. It's like, okay, yes. I, you know, and it's going to happen yeah. at eight. Does that work for you? Okay, great. Right. And then and you it, move into it. And it takes you. Um, and one of, one of the biggest things for me, cause I, I've worked with salespeople that are very like sneaky, yeah, smarty, like, yep. <laughs> um, you know, some guys be like, I just sent a, I just sent them a meeting invite with like a B subject title, like, Hey, like recap meeting about this. This was at my previous company, by the way, not my current employer. Uh, and he's like, sometimes they'll take it and I can try to trick them into a meeting. And I've dealt with customers where it's a very adversarial relationship. He's convinced I'm swindling him for all he's worth. Um, and he's constantly threatening me. Like, I'm going to go to someone else. So-and-so was offering this cheaper to me. I really enjoy a collaborative relationship where, hey, we're on the same side of the table. We're working together. Yeah, I'm trying I, to solve the same problem. Yeah. I was like, yes, I'm trying to win your business, but I'm trying to win your business through making it worth your time. I'm trying to show my value and prove. And, you know, it was the benefit of my current role is like, I legitimately think like what my company is offering is the best in the industry. And I'm happy to tell my customers. And one of the most disarming things I can say to them is like, listen, the job I'm in, I can't hook you into some three, five-year contract. Like, you know, some other tech companies and competitors can like you pay for my service by the second, by the minute, by the hour. If something's not working, you're just going to shut it down. It's in my best interest to make sure this will work for you. So that was a bit of a tangent. I did want to add in terms of outside training. I love some good sales books. A couple that have worked for me are Never Split the Difference. Challenger Sales is a methodology I really like. It's a little dated, but I think it's like a really good foundation for sales and for life. How to win friends and influence people is a great way just to how to think empathetically, how to put yourself in your customer shoes, how to sit on the other side of the table so you can sit on that side of the table with them. Those are some books I recommend. There's some great sales books. And like I said, in sales, there's no silver bullet. Ask many people. Most salespeople have some book recommendations. That's good. Connor, what's the most challenging part of the job to you? Um, I touched on a little bit. It is several factors. I think one, just dealing with projection and lack of success. Sales isn't for everyone. It's a job that can be really frustrating, like I said previously, when you feel like you're doing all the right inputs and you're not getting the right outputs. 
And there's a degree of randomness where you'll see like, hey, I am sending the same emails she's sending. I am sending, you know, I'm sending way more emails, way more phone calls, way more this. I'm custom writing my stuff. I'm doing in-depth research and I'm getting nothing. And, you know, my peer next to me, he just picked up a call and now it's like a multi-million dollar deal. Yeah. And you can, you can get frustrated and you can get bitter and be like, oh, well, it's just because they're from the same fraternity or, you know, they just accepted that meeting because they think she's nice or something like that. And you need to not be negative, not be frustrated with those problems because there's that degree of randomness. I think there's a degree of stress that comes to sales that a lot of other professions don't have. A lot of jobs, like you can accomplish all your work. It is a, you know, you have a concrete number of work. You have to get through this many units of something. You have to work through all these projects. You can complete your projects and you can be like, hey, I'm finished for work. I'm done. I've accomplished my goal. It's harder to know when you're done with sales. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's um it's a job that gives you a one of the benefits is you have a lot of flexibility and structure. Very few sales bosses are like you need to be calling people from here to here and these are the people you need to talk to and this is the script you need to say. But at the end of the day, you have a quota to hit. And even if you've hit it, your managers are typically saying what else can you bring in? Like you're you're never done prospecting. You're always also thinking about next year. My quota is probably going to be 20, 40% higher. What opportunities do I need to start bringing in? So hitting your number and never having a point where you can be like, hey, I completed everything can be stressful. I know my first job, I moved across the country for it, settled down in Atlanta. They hired me. They gave me like a few weeks worth of training. And then they sent me off to the phones to start cold calling in this training role. And in six months, they said, hey, you need to be bringing in this revenue by six months or you are fired. And I am just out of college. I've moved across the country, don't know anyone in Atlanta. And oh, by the way, 60% of your salary is based off of commission. You are not going to be able to pay for your rent if you don't sell something. Now, that is not all that common, but that was a pretty stressful situation and pretty scary. I, I lost some sleep to that. I think those are the main challenges of sales. You face a lot of rejection. It can be really unstructured. Kind of that negative luck, you know, where sometimes you're doing all the right things and not getting the right results. You always have this pressure and you're only as good as your as your number in some groups and some organizations. And hey, you had a great Q3, but now but now it's October. What do you have coming in for us now? Goldfish swim around the bowl. It's a whole new world. You know, we're talking about this quarter. We're talking about hitting you know, Q4 now. So there's a degree of stress and pressure that I think is not the most difficult job. One of the benefits is for the most part, my job is nine to five, but there's a degree of stress that I think would not be a good fit for some people. Yeah, that makes sense. What What's the best part of your job, Connor? We just talked about some of the negative sides of it. What do you like the most? Oh man, the best part, a lot of good benefits. Um, if I'm being purely numer- numerical, most sales jobs, the compensation is really great. Yeah. For the hours you work for the level of education you have, if you're good at sales, you can make some serious change. You can make some real cheddar. I think a lot of sales, unfortunately, in my current role in the current world climate, I'm not doing a lot of travel, but if you love travel, many sales roles have you flying across the country, sometimes flying mm-hmm. international. I had, I had a friend of mine who worked for Vodafone and he was traveling back and forth between New York and Europe all the time. Now that can be a negative for some people when 
you know, they don't see their wife and kids or the stereotypical salesman or consultant's fridge was really just like condiments and some like expired hot dogs. <laughs> but if you like to travel, it's a really great benefit. I love talking to people, very much a people pleaser, and I love solving problems. And there is a bit of a rush when you're in sales and they sign that contract, they take that meeting, they green light that spend and you you hit your quarter. Yeah. Those highs have to be have Those to feel really feels, good. Feel feel great. Yeah. And uh, frequently you're getting recognition for it if that's something that's important to you. A lot of salespeople love affirmation, love recognition. And so, you know, you'll get VPs saying, Connor, awesome, great. You, you closed that massive deal or, hey, top of the leaderboard, so-and-so, he sold X amount. And everyone in that room is looking at how much they sold and they're multiplying by the commission rate. And they're like, wow, that guy's getting a really good commission check this year. And a legitimately good sales, when you're selling well, you're solving people's problems. You're, yeah. you're making their life easier. I am helping customers do more with less, be more efficient. I'm helping customers spend more time innovating and less time just keeping the lights on. I'm helping customers be more efficient, not only in their own operations and their time and their energy. You know, moving to the cloud, moving to AWS reduces their carbon footprint just based on scales of efficiency. And we're constantly building, building renewable power plants and renewable energy sources with the drive to become completely renewable. So there's a lot of pluses. And when you have a good relationship with a customer and you are solving a headache, if there's one conversation a while ago I had with a customer, he was a specialist working on a specific piece of software that was critical to their business. It was constantly breaking. It was constantly going down. He was constantly getting called back from vacation, middle of the night. And I was able to work with him and build a solution that fixed and automated a lot of these problems. And he said, Connor, you saved my marriage. And I said, I laughed it off. <laughs> I was like, whatever. Um, and he's like, no, this, he's like, I have time with my kids. I have time with my wife now. Wow, that's awesome. uh, you have made a significant improvement and solved this huge problem that was in my family life. I think that's a bit of an extreme example. Yeah. But there are times where you legitimately are, are helping customers and making their life better. And that's something I love about the job. I love that. Connor, I just have a couple more questions for you, man. Um, one thing I always like to ask everybody is, what do you wish you knew about the job or the industry when you were first starting out? Hmm. Okay. I think what I mentioned input wise, you can be doing all the right inputs and sometimes you just don't see the results and there's no one good way to solve the problem. I was always asking the people who were closing big deals, like, how'd you get them on the phone? Or like, how'd you get around this speed bump or this roadblock? And then get really frustrated when it wasn't working for my clients. I think... One thing I wish I'd learned was understanding and doing research on SaaS and tech job offers and what they entailed. If you're in the industry, you're frequently getting LinkedIn messages of, hey, we're this startup, you know, some former Uber exec now wants to make the Uber of kitchen tools, right? I'm making <laughs> stuff up, but um, it doesn't looking... sound made up. That sounds exactly like what you get. Right. Uh, and they're looking for new sales execs and like with a compensation cap of $650,000 and upward growth and really having an understanding of how do I pick 
how do I evaluate job offers? How do I talk to these recruiters? Okay, what's the percentage of people that are hitting their commission cap every year? You know, what's their commission based off of? What's the turnover rate in this sales team? What's the promotion path from this role? I didn't know and I didn't ask a lot of those questions early on. Real quick, Connor, say those again because you literally, I had some of those questions. I was going to abandon them, but they're, they're actually really important. You mentioned what the pay structure might look like, what the different promotion path outward. I like those are key questions. So can you say those again? Yeah, sure thing. So what's the commission structure look like? How many sales reps in the company are hitting their commission cap or hitting this benchmark or hitting quota every year? What's the turnover looked like? That, yeah, that was what's, an important what's the one turnover too. in the account there I've worked with and I've been in some company sales orgs that are very unhealthy in the work-life balance and uh, very unhealthy in the business expectations. And, you know, I think uh, one company I worked for my first month there, I saw seven people get 17 people get walked out the door in the first two weeks. Wow. Yeah, it was two weeks. And I was sitting there terrified. Like, what have I walked myself into? And if it's a transitionary role, if it's a training role, especially for people coming out of college, a lot of them are in these SDR roles, these cold calling roles, and they'll say, hey, you'll be here for so many, and then you'll get moved to an account team. You should be asking like, hey, what's the average tenure it takes to get out of this role? How many people move out of this role into a territory sales rep or move out to a technical role? Because a lot of these recruiters will flash a big commission number and say, this could be yours. Yes. And while that's technically true, a lot of these comp plans, the stars have to align and you have to be selling you know, this many products to this many clients and it just doesn't happen. That doesn't mean for some of these companies, you can't go in there, wreck shop and walk out with some really fat commission checks, but do your due diligence, dig into the details of what they promise so you know what you're walking into and uh, understand what they're actually promising you is actually legitimate. Yeah. A couple more questions, Connor. I, yeah. I we, we talked about compensation ranges and stuff. From your experience, what's a realistic compensation range for someone fresh out of college, like early entry level? What is it like a mid-career look maybe look like? And then late career, what's possible? Mm, ooh, that's that's a good question. It I think that first number varies a lot from who you're selling for and where you're living. For example, if you are taking a SaaS sales role in Silicon Valley. Um, there's a high cost of living and that's probably going to pay a lot more than working out of Houston or Dallas or, yep. or like Oklahoma city. You know, I, I had a bit of that adjustment, but I would probably say, I would probably recommend people to be looking for a base that's like close to 50 mm -hmm. and then looking for maybe 30, 30% commission on top of that. It's good. Again, you're, you're looking for probably like on target earnings of you know, 80,000, 90,000, probably. I know that varies based on different geographies. Definitely. But it's good to have just a ballpark because people don't really know what numbers are real because there's so much of that, like, you know, oh, here's recruiters flashing glitzy numbers right. or people saying, oh no, I worked in tech sales or SaaS sales. And, and I, I was only, right. I was 100% commissioned. So, you know. Right. And, you know, there are some of those roles that work out well. I would strongly recommend against 100% commission for someone fresh out of college. Uh, one person I worked with, they were 100% commission. They were acquired into the company I was working at at the time due to an acquisition, and they got paid zero salary. 
but for every dollar they made the company in profit, they got 15, 15 cents on that dollar. Mm-hmm. Now, these two individuals, they have both been working tech sales for 25, 30 years. And this guy and this gal both made the company about 20, 30 million dollars in gross profit each year. So do the math. Now, yeah. Yeah. Do <laughs> the math. That that was that was the guy who, if you were a technical resource, if you were a solution architect, and he hits you up at two in the morning saying, Hey, my customer wants to know this. There was a high likelihood that, you know, the people who got on and helped them, you know, got an iPad in the mail, you know, the next week, just because that was worth the investment to him. But if you're starting out, you don't have this massive book of business. You're learning, you're cutting your teeth, learning how to talk on the phone, find new opportunities. You're probably going to be in a demand gen or a SDR kind of role. So you're going to be doing a lot of prospecting. A lot of these compensation plans, I want. I, want to, I also want to warn some of our listeners, you will see, especially with some of these startups in Silicon Valley and see smaller businesses, they will offer stock options or they will offer units of the company's ownership before the company IPOs. Now, I think we talked previously before we started recording, um, a guy I knew uh, really hit the jackpot, was working for Datadog early on. They IPO'd. Uh, he ended up having, you know, thousands of shares of stock that was yep. worth a whole big chunk of change. That's rare uh, and an exception. And so sometimes they'll be pitched. Some companies like mine, they'll be offering reserve stock units to say, like, hey, as part of your signing bonus, you get this many legitimate shares of Amazon. Yeah. And over the years you work, they become yours. Yes. Um, and it's an actual share of stock with a stock market price. Some of these companies will be offering portions of the company that aren't tangible or real or have value yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is kind of that gold strike scenario, but I've seen a lot of people get burned on that too. Yeah, that's a good point that there really is a difference in the type of company that you work for. If it's a startup, you know, their stock may be worth, you know, you may hit that jackpot, but also it might end up being worth nothing to you. But if you're working for an established business, one of the perks that comes with that is obviously if if they're already trading on the stock market and the stock is part of the compensation plan, well, you can rest mostly assured that uh, that's actually going to be worth something to you when, when you're fully vested or however the package works. So. That's good to know. Right. What part of the day do you look forward to the most, Connor? I know we've talked about some of the good things, but just like in your day-to-day, what do you enjoy the most? Boy, I I just enjoy talking to customers. Yeah. If you are if you're a bit of an introvert, if you're a little antisocial, maybe don't go into sales. Um, <laughs> uh, my wife teases me that I could talk to a wall and have a good conversation. Um, <laughs> I think I think I really enjoy having conversations with customers, and I get a little bit of joy of excitement um, when when I get a new customer responding. You know, when it, when that you know external email hits my inbox and be like, "Hey, yeah, I actually want to talk to you about this." It's this joy of like a new person to talk to and a new opportunity to wow and amaze because you know some customers, it's you know you talk to them and they're like, "Yeah, humdrum. That's industry par for the course." But sometimes you get a customer who you like, you're performing magic to them. You're solving some problem that has been eating up their life, or you're doing something that like radically simplifies or optimizes their job. And you you, you get to see your customer like a kid in a candy store. And that's yeah. really fun. I love that. 
Uh, Connor, before I ask my, my final question here, I usually like to ask, is there anything that we missed that you wanted to hit on a uh, thing that you thought a little bit more about that? You're like, Oh yeah, I wanted to say this floor is yours. If you want to, if, if there's anything that you feel like we've missed that you would really want the audience to know about the job. I would say I would love to give just a little, a sliver of advice uh, yes. for people interested in going into sales. It's a great industry. I, I've talked a lot about some of the some of the difficulties and some of the great benefits. It's a great industry to jump and improve. It's one I'd recommend. If you get in the industry, persevere. You know, you're you're gonna face some obstacles. Power through those, and it's a great way to climb the ladder in a large organization. To, you know, to build a great career for yourself. I'd recommend. You know, if you're gonna go into an industry. One of my biggest pieces of advice is if you're going to take a job, have a plan of what you're going to do next, whether it's, hey, I'm going to work here and I'm going to get it fully vested. I'm going to go somewhere else. Or I'm going to work in this role. I'm going to prove my prove my worth. And then I'm going to you know, become a field rep. I'm going to become this technical thing. I'm going to be a solution architect. Have that plan in your head. Make that known to your manager and understand and get that manager to clarify Hey, what do I need to do to get there? What are some ways we can work on it together? It's really good. I think a lot of people get, they get into a job and I'm finally making money. I'm out of college and it's exciting and it's cool. And then, you know, a year and a half later, your manager's like, so what do you want to do? Uh, where do you want to go from now? And you're like, I, I haven't thought about it. Go in, then your plan can change, but go in and say, Hey, I'm interested in this. What do I need to do to get there? Yes. And then ask your manager to help you with this. So Get them to sit on your side of the table. Like I was saying, you want to do with the customer. How can we work on this? Hey, in our one-on-one meetings, let's talk about this once a month. You know, how am I, how am I doing with this progress? Because in your, in your 20s is a really great way to accelerate your career, accelerate your earning potential. Don't become sedentary. Uh, I think that's my one bit of advice. That's so good, Connor. I've, I've seen that in multiple things. And some, some of the people that I've listened to, I've heard this. You know, it's so hard to know what to aim at when you're in your 20s or you're in your teens or you're in your 30s, any time of life, really, to know, you know, what's what's the next thing. But what's more important is not that you pick the absolute best right thing, but just that you have have a target that you're aiming at and it's allowed to change. You know, you you yeah, give yourself absolutely. you you commit to pursuing that target with the flexibility of knowing. I'm allowed to change my mind and pivot to something else and find a new target. But when you become sedentary and you don't really know where you're going, that's when you start to decline and, and life maybe starts to get a little bit depressing and you start to feel directionless or like there's nothing. So it's better exactly. to pick, it's better to pick a goal and then find out, you know what, that's as you're pursuing that goal, that's not really what I want to do. That's totally okay. That's most people actually I'm 28 now. I know I look and sound much younger than that, but I've learned that in my twenties and it's just, it's what I would tell my 18 year old self, Hey, pick a goal, start going towards it. And it's allowed to change. So I really like that piece of advice. Got one more question for you. You kind of touched a little bit on just general advice, but what's the best piece of practical advice you would give to somebody who wants to do what you do? Would you tell them to pursue certifications? Would you tell them to pursue specific trainings or get more of a technical background? Or like, what, what would you say to like a 21-year-old college student who's like, yeah, maybe I want to go into tech sales? What would you say? Yeah, that's, that's a tough one because 
I think sales is, especially tech sales, uh, if you want to get really specific, you're like, hey, I want to I want to get good at AWS. I want to get it, get good at our comp- their competitor, Azure. And I either want to work for them or I want to work for an integrator or, you know, a SaaS company that runs a product on their platform. Yeah, get it, get, do some certifications, research that. It's going to help you a lot. I would recommend... Like I mentioned, some of the books I'd recommend reading, uh, reading some of these sales books. Please don't go looking on like YouTube seminars for here's how you can, you know, 10x your earnings, but find well-reviewed legitimate sales books and programs. Sales is actually one of these industries that it's a little bit of an, it's a little bit more of an art than a science, yes. you know, versus my my friends who are like, hey, I completed law school. I am a certified jurist doctorate. I can now practice this form of law. I am competent. And I knew I wanted to go into a state law. And so I've done boned up and I'm very aware of a state law. Or hey, I really wanted to work in aerospace. And so I graduated there. I have my master's in aerospace engineering. I have all of these certifications. One of the best sales guys I worked with didn't have a college degree. And now he he started from a disadvantage, and I think there's a bit of a ceiling he can get to. Yeah. But he he was a fast learner. He understood the product he was selling, the business impact to his customers, and he was really good at painting a good picture to his customers and building good relationships with his customers and and moving the product essentially. So I, I think I think I would bone up and learn how to think from your customer's perspective. Uh, read some of these sales books, learn how to empathize with them and learn how to think about your language and how you word things, you know, how you position a solution. A lot of sales, as manipulative as it sounds, is getting your customer, almost like inception, getting your customer to arrive to the conclusion themselves. You know, I can go and say, hey, you're so like, what you need is this thing. And they're not going to trust me because it's not coming. It's coming from me, a sales guy with my own motivations and my own, my own objectives. But if you can understand their business objectives, if you can walk them through and you can ask them, okay, well, you know, are you to this or this, or do you run, run it like this or like this? Okay. Well then this prevents this problem. If you can get them to arrive to the conclusion themselves, and that's a big part of sales in controlling the conversation, steering the narrative not manipulating or lying to these people, but getting them to arrive to the conclusion and getting themselves to believe, yes, this is the best solution for me. Uh, this makes the most sense is one of the best ways to sell to a customer. And I think it's one of the most morally right ways of selling to a customer. You're not tricking them. Agree. You're not like sign on the dotted line. You're legitimately finding the pro- helping them find the best solution to their problem. And so a lot of these sales books go into that and I'd recommend looking into it. But as for like programs or certs, it's a bit more of an art. And so I'm really struggling to point at something really particular. And that's like, okay. Yeah. yeah. This. No, I think that's really good. You know, you seem to really believe in the skills associated with selling that really developing those skills and developing that language. I like that you mentioned that several times because I would agree. I think one of the most critical pieces to selling, you, you mentioned earlier listening, and then I would say number two right behind it is developing the right language, learning how to ask the right kind of questions that lead your customer towards obviously their, their own solution, but obviously it's the one that you're wanting them to choose. Or, um, and so I just really like how you, how you mentioned like, yeah, language, empathy, listening, actually caring about what 
what is on the other side of the conversation? You know, the client, it comes first. And if you can really solve their problems, then that's what sales is ultimately all about. So yeah, awesome. Yeah. Connor, thank you so much. I really, I feel like I learned a lot from, from this conversation and I'm excited to release this one, man. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Jameson. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll talk more. Yeah. Good talking to you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the What's That Job Like podcast. Two quick things. One, please subscribe and review the show. It takes less than a minute and it does a ton to help. Two, I would love your feedback. Is there a certain career you want to hear from, a question you'd like me to ask my guests, or anything else? Let me know. My email is jameson at whatsthatjoblike.com. Again, that's J-A-M-E-S-O-N at whatsthatjoblike.com. That is also where you can email me if you are interested in being a guest on my show. I am rapidly trying to get hundreds of interviews because I think that's how this whole project will come together and help as many people as possible. So again, please subscribe and I'll catch you next time. 